You are listening to the Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Matt's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 221. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Great show this week, going in a different direction, at least with my guest, and that is Mark Wahlberg. No, not Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch. Mark Wahlberg, the host of Temptation Island, as season three gets underway this Tuesday, February 16th at 10, 9 central on the USA Network. We're going to talk to Mark and get a preview of what to expect this upcoming season. Before we get started, I'd say a lot of stuff uh, to go over here in regards to what's going on and the latest in the Rachel and Chris Harrison stuff. I will say this. I think that as I record this open on late Wednesday night, Chris Harrison has released an apology. You saw it on my Twitter. I put it in my Instagram stories. It's in his Instagram feed and his Instagram stories in regards to his interview with Rachel Lindsay, a 13-minute interview that I linked to yesterday morning and called out for being incredibly racist, incredibly absurd, and pretty much called for his job. And there was a petition online yesterday uh, of people signing a petition to have him removed from his job. So Chris had to respond to this. If he would have ignored this, it would have been even worse. But, you know, I, I don't think Chris... You know, if you didn't watch, you have to watch the Rachel interview, the interview with Rachel Lindsay on Extra, because there were just so many things wrong with it. And, you know, you can't talk for 13 minutes. It's not like Chris Harrison had a one sentence slip up in an interview that he did. He literally showed his ass for 13 minutes about how he feels about the whole situation was you could tell he didn't think it was a big deal. He even said it in the interview. I saw a bunch of girls dressed up going to a party. Again, if you didn't watch Tuesday's Live and you don't know why that's troubling, you need to go watch it with me and Ashley. Also, he was just stating a bunch of factually incorrect things. This was a picture from five years ago at a sorority party. No, it was three years ago, and it was a fraternity party, a fraternity that's based in praising the Confederacy and worshiping Robert E. Lee. Big mistakes there. He said that 50 million people attended it in 2018. First off, where is he pulling these statistics? How does he know that 50 million people attended an Old South formal three years ago? Like, it's just, holy shit, I couldn't believe how bad that interview was. And it just went on and on and on. And despite all the facts that he got wrong and the things that he laid out there, the biggest thing that Chris Harrison did wrong was, in an interview for 13 straight minutes, told a black woman what he considered to be offensive and what wasn't offensive. That should have been the, I mean, it was included in his apology, but that's the biggest, probably the biggest take from that whole interview is Chris Harrison, you are not anyone to tell a black woman. I know a black woman that you're friends with, but a black woman, nonetheless, what you consider to be offensive. It just, It was about his... And the thing is, Chris Harrison has been in the media for 18 years. He is trained in this stuff. How in the world was he so off base on that? I don't think it 
don't think you really have to dig deep to know why he was so off base on that. This other thing that Chris touched on is something that's driving me nuts right now, and it's it's unfortunate, but it gets thrown around a lot, is the woke police. And just calling everybody who calls something out, oh, stop being the woke police. If you didn't read Emma Gray and Claire Fallon's um, story in the Huffington Post yesterday about this whole Chris Harrison interview before he put out his apology, here's a quote from it. Here's a paragraph from it. Actually, it's one sentence. By citing the woke police, Harrison is invoking a common cudgel used by white people who seek to sidestep accountability and insisting that the real harm is done by those who dare to voice their frustrations with a franchise that seems unable to state unequivocally that white supremacy has no place in it. Chris's role in that interview with Rachel, all he had to do was say, this was racist. She shouldn't have done it. She shouldn't have been a part of it, and I hope she apologizes for it, and I hope she learns from it. All he did was defend it. All he did was make excuses for it. This is exactly what we went over for a hundred minutes on Tuesday night. And again, I, I don't understand why people have such a, an issue with this. And I, and I, I mean, I, I guess I do know the more I'm reading about this stuff and I'm, and the more I'm understanding, it's just, I get it. It's uncomfortable to talk about. And I think people just need to be a little more open-minded when it comes to this stuff. And especially if you're white, you are not allowed. I mean, I guess everybody's entitled to their opinion, but you're not allowed to have an informed opinion if you're white on what an old South formal should mean. And, oh, it was just a party. Oh, they just had hoop skirts. Big deal. People dress up like that all the time. If it offends black people, you need to shut up. And I can't tell you how many, all you got to do is look at my Twitter mentions. You can't see the Instagram messages that I'm getting, but trust me, they're there too. It's just so bizarre. And everybody loves, and those people that are saying that are all throwing in the woke police. And that was a horrible, horrible quote by Chris to use the woke police in his answers to Rachel. Just not smart, dude. What are you doing? That was 13 minutes of just unbelievable protection of racism. He didn't condemn it. He he could not condemn it. And look, I understand that his goal in that interview was to defend Rachel. And hell, even Us Weekly's story on Chris Harrison's apology. Do you know what the headline for Us Weekly's story on um, Chris Harrison and Rachel is? Here's the title of the story right now. Top headlines, Us Weekly, as I'm looking at it, at 1045 on Wednesday night. Chris Harrison apologizes amid backlash for defending Bachelor's Rachel. So they've already made the story into he's apologizing because all he did was defend Rachel. No. He apologized because he defended racism. In his answers to Rachel, Lindsay, not Rachel Kirkconnell. It just, it, everything is so backwards. It's unbelievable. I just shake my head at some of the things that you people are sending me. Some of the things that you're emailing me. 
It's frustrating, man. I don't know. I don't. I. I. And look, I'm not. I'm not sitting here being like, I'm. I. I, I know everything about history and all this stuff, but I. And I, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. That I, I couldn't believe that from Chris yesterday. Holy crap! The apology. Okay. Again, it's just words. Just like when Rachel ultimately releases her statement, it's just words. Their actions from their apology forward will determine whether or not I believe they're sincere. Chris Harrison? Hmm. I, I think he's got a lot. I think I think I think one thing you gotta keep in mind, and, and it's gonna be very, very interesting, and I'm certainly gonna keep tabs on it. I know Ashley is, we've talked about it, and I've talked about it with Taylor, is how many of the quote unquote good guys um teachers pets in this franchise address this and address it in a way where they call Chris out. Chris has apologized, so that actually gives them unfortunately it gives them more of a soft landing because they can say, "Hey, he apologized," and I think Chris realizes he made a mistake. But before that apology came out in talking to Ashley and talking to some other people, I was just like, "I'm very 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 curious to see who in Bachelor Nation, especially the big alumni, what their reaction is going to be to this because they can't bite the hand that feeds them and they don't want to get on the bad side. And I just can't see, I'm sorry. I just can't see certain people in this franchise calling Chris Harrison out and saying, and really going at him for that. But now that he's released a statement, I think they're going to say, I think Chris really uh, realized what a mistake he made by saying that he's really a good guy. He was just protecting Rachel. Like I knew that was going to be his, response and um you know just wanted to defend Rachel here and yes he did he 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 did throw in the word racism and you know good but again his statement just like Rachel's upcoming statement it's just words it's still not going to satisfy a lot of people i think it'll satisfy the people that say stop being the woke police because they just want because uh, they're thinking he didn't have to apologize for anything trust me I got the responses in my email. This is stupid. Why is he even apologizing for this? What did he say that's even wrong? It's just like, there's no point to even debate with somebody like that or even try and show them information of why Chris Harrison said 1,900 things that were wrong in that interview. But, um, yeah, I mean, moving forward, this is going to be interesting. I'm really curious to see. I, I hope you all who listen to other podcasts in Bachelor Nation take note of what people say and how they say it. And if anybody does a deep dive into it or are just like, well, Chris apologized, so let's move forward. Because I think those people are, again, probably on the side of Chris pre-statement. As for Rachel's statement, I mean, as I'm recording this, that 1050 central time Uh, she hasn't released anything yet and it's just as i said on tuesday um it's if my my advice to her would be anybody that's telling you you can't post anything just tell them to fuck off and say this is getting out of hand for six weeks i've been called a racist and a white supremacist and i know that um you know, I have a contract, but screw you. No contract says I can't post something on Instagram. That has nothing to do with the show. 
This has nothing to do with the show. This is about her personal life, stuff that happened pre-show. Why is she not allowed to just go on? Now, my consensus that I've gathered from the people that I've spoken to is this is a girl who's very new to this, had never really watched the show before in the past, was nominated to be on the show, decided to do it, is hated by a lot of people in America right now, being flooded with death threats, white supremacist emails, racist emails. She's under a contract by a major network, and that major network is telling her not to speak. I mean, I I kind of get why she isn't, because she's scared shitless. Because they're telling her what she can do, and they're controlling her, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I've told the people that I've spe- been speaking to, I've done all I could at this point. I've told them she needs to tell the people that are telling her not to release anything or wait till we look at it or wait till we make corrections to screw off. Just post it on your Instagram. Get something out there because it's just getting worse. The fact that Chris Harrison did an interview and less than 24 hours later put up an apology, yet Rachel's been getting dragged for six weeks and they've been telling her up until Thursday, we don't want you saying anything. We don't want you addressing this. And then Thursday comes, the pictures that got out of the Old South formal, and they say, okay, you can make a statement now, but keep it to 100 words. And yet, there's no statement that's been made. And it's not, I can tell you, it's not Rachel's doing. It's still on them. They're not allowing it for God knows what reason. So I've told the people involved, she needs to go, she needs to basically put her foot down and do it without them. And if she does, she does. If she doesn't, she doesn't. There's nothing else I can do at this point. But um, I would expect it to be coming soon. But I said that on Saturday. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to come Sunday because of Super Bowl. And I didn't think it was coming Monday because of the show. But I definitely thought it was coming yesterday. And I was told it was coming yesterday. So, and I, when I say yesterday, I mean Tuesday because I'm recording this on Wednesday. So, I would think it's coming out today or tomorrow at the latest. And if it isn't released this week, then Rachel has dug herself a grave that I don't know if she'll be ever be able to get out of because it's just getting ridiculous at this point. She needs to put her foot down and say, it's my Instagram account. I'm going to address all these things that are being said about me, and I want to make a statement. And if you have to proofread it or X out things, or whatever, I don't care. Let me release what I want to release. And I've told them that, I've told the people involved that, and um, there's only so much I can do, and I understand that she's scared, and I understand that they have this giant contract, and you know, you don't know any better at that point, because you're all new to this, and you've got a major corporation telling you, you can't speak unless we let you. So, we'll see what happens from here, but um, anyway, that's that's it on on that stuff. Obviously, if Rachel releases something, I'll post it on Twitter and I'll post it on Instagram uh, today or tomorrow whenever it comes out. So, but totally switching gears. Oh, my God. Season three of Temptation Island is upon us. Thank the Lord. Starts this Tuesday. And here we go. The host, Mark Wahlberg. Okay, let's bring him in. He is the host of Temptation Island. Season three debuting this Tuesday, February 16th, 10, 9 central. It is Mark Wahlberg. Mark, always great to have you on. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, and, and and also thanks in advance for all the support you give us. I appreciate that. No, no problem. Um, this was a, a bit of a weird season for you. Um, obviously, any TV show in in that film in <laughs> 2020. 
I mean, no season of Temptation Island aired in the year 2020 because of the pandemic. I think you guys were set to film in uh, right around the time it started. I think I believe it was supposed to be around March, right? I had my my wardrobe fitting March 15th, I think. I was supposed to leave March 24th. Uh. So, yeah, right as it hit. Yeah. Literally heard that we were delayed while I was having the fitting with the wardrobe stylist. Wow. Um, and a little craziness around, around the start of filming in Hawaii – yeah. Now, now I, I mean, I heard it in August it was set to go, and then the locals apparently got mad, and it was postponed. Tell us exactly what went down, and just overall right. for filming, how you guys managed to film during the uh, during the pandemic. So, the best I could understand is that you know Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, had very strict uh, COVID rules mm-hmm. because it's you know islands. It's really really difficult, and so finally the governor approved us going to work. Um, and so the governor said if we did it under and, and the number of um, concessions and rules that were put in place so that we could go to work, kept the bar kept moving and moving. And we kept accommodating, accommodating. We wanted to be safe. Finally, the governor said yes. And one of the things I thought was really great is that we the producers hired a very prominent local person who was very respected to come live in the bubble with us. And the only instruction he was given was tell the truth, you know, just tweet out what you see, Hmm. you know, and that way people won't think that what we're doing is inky. We want people to know exactly how we're handling stuff. So we were tested every two or three days. We, you know, obviously temperature checks every day. No one left the, uh, our bubble. And when I say bubble, this wasn't like a bubble where you went to the restaurant, but I mean, it was a bubble. We didn't go to the beach. We didn't get in the pool. We didn't do anything. So, um, and we had 3,600 tests and zero positives. Wow. So I was really thrilled that we were able to bring some work to the economy. A lot of people were working because of us, myself included, thank God. And we did it in the safest possible way and happy to say that we got in and out of there with no incidents whatsoever COVID-related. So when was it filmed? It was filmed in October? Was it pretty much the month of October? Uh, did it last yeah, longer? Much, yeah, that was about it. Okay. Yeah, we did the whole month. Month of you October. Know, we had to do, each of us had to stay in our room for the first seven days because it was a modified quarantine. Yeah. Um, and they would, you know, literally deliver food to our door. We couldn't even go out in the hallway. But I had my wife with me, so that was no different than living here except just in a nice suite because yeah. they hooked me up. <laughs> so I was like, you know, COVID, whatever. <laughs> I can handle this. This is great. Well, one, you know? one thing that I noticed that is different, I think the biggest difference this season between uh, season three and seasons one and two is because of COVID and because of the restrictions, everybody is at the same hotel. You're not in two different villas on different sides of the of the island or however far you were apart. Uh, on the first two seasons, but everyone is in the same hotel. So how did that change the dynamic at all, if at any? Luckily, I mean, it was really difficult. And my hat and my hats off to our producers. You know, I don't know how to pull this off because there's so many things about our show that you know have to be protected. You know, as far as you know where they live. Yeah. So uh, normally, what happens is you know. Our staff stays in one hotel, our crew stays in another hotel, our department has stayed in another hotel, and then there are two separate locations, and we've got vans running left and right all day long, right? Yeah. So this one, we were all in the same hotel. Literally anyone who had anything to do with this show had to stay in the hotel, uh, catering everybody. And um, 
we did have two villas that were on separate parts of the resort complex. Mm. Amazingly close together, far closer than I was comfortable with. Like you could hear a party from the other side, which I was like, this this is not going to be good. But we were able to police it and keep it handled where people didn't, you know, run to the other side of the island. So mm. it was close, but the the benefit was from a work standpoint, we were all in the same boat together. So there was this cohesiveness of our team that I've never experienced before in my career. That was, we really became family. And I, we all kind of dug the fact that we didn't have to drive to work every day. You know, we <laughs> could sleep a little later and just get up and go to work. So, uh, but for the cast, it wasn't so different. You know, they had, you know, because you got to remember, in a, even when it's not COVID, the cast kind of has a little quarantine anyway. Because once they move into those villas, they're not going anywhere except on a date. So yeah. it, it wasn't a whole lot different for them. Luckily, we had a place uh, where we were that was accommodating so we could have them separate. And, um, you know, we we invented a new way of doing it. But from uh, what you see on TV, it shouldn't look so much different than we've done in the past. Okay, so television-wise, it's going to look like maybe they're at farther apart than they are. Because when, yeah. when I first heard same hotel, I was like, I wonder if this is going to add an element of singles trying to sneak over to the other side or even one of the couples trying to get a hold of his girl or the girl trying to get a hold of Listen, her guy. <laughs> that stuff goes down all the time. Like, okay. That's always an issue. Like, um, So this year they brought in somebody because we couldn't send, the, send people out to like a – you know, get the hair done or anything like that. So we brought in somebody that would kind of do touch up on makeup on the cast. And normally we kind of just let them do their own thing. And, you know, every time they're in the chair, they're like, can you get a note to my boyfriend? Can you get a note to my girlfriend? <laughs> you know? So that stuff always goes down. I had said, it was a concern of mine before we started taping. And, you know, I'm not a producer on the show, but I, I have a pretty great relationship with the producers. And I said, look, you know, this is an issue. They're going to try to escape. It happened back 20 years ago when I did this thing on Fox. And then I said, but you know what? Everything is the story. Whatever happens, if it happens, becomes story because it's authentic and real. So, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't see it happen, but if yeah. it had happened, we would have just incorporated that into the story, I guess. Mm. All right, well let's let's break down these four couples. I have not seen the screener for the first episode yet, so I have no idea what happens. Hopefully, I get to that this weekend. But um, so all I know about the couples is the pictures that were released online and the short bios right. given of each one. So one of the things okay. I want to do because when I looked over these four couples and I read their backgrounds, I actually felt like every single couple was very similar to a couple in the first two seasons, and I want to get your opinion on it, just based off. Okay, and this is just based off of a bio online that was written. So the first sure. first couple, uh, Thomas and Chelsea, they have – he's 37, she's 29. So they have an eight-year difference. Not terribly huge, but by far the biggest of the couples this season. None of the other couples you have this season are even more than two years apart in age. That's, um, that's right. He's flirty. She's jealous and possessive. He's afraid of commitment. She's his first serious relationship. <laughs> Welcome to Temptation Island, you two. Um just on the surface, they kind of remind me of Kate and David from last season with the age difference, and he was the flirt, and she was jealous and possessive. How close am I? Yeah, no, no, I don't see that. I mean, I get it. <laughs> By the numbers, that makes sense, but they're an entirely different vibe. Okay. Entirely different vibe. Thomas is no David by any means as far as, you know, vibe. And um, 
while Chelsea and Kate might have some, you know, first of all, Kate was the older one on, with Kate and David. And oh, yeah, one, I just meant the age difference. I just meant the difference. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah so that, that's the thing. But, you know, I, I don't know, other than the fact that he's his age without having had any serious relationship before, which I get into with him a little bit in the bonfire, um, I don't know that the age difference is that much of a an issue with the two of them. But you'll see. I mean, they're very – she's great, man. She's just this – they're both great. I, you know, listen, I say that about everybody because I, I have love for all of them. But she's really expressive, really emotional, and she's got that kind of New Jersey where she just says what's on her mind. Like, I always laugh because everything she does, like her little eye rolls and stuff, is like we're doing a reality show, but she's sort of living in a sitcom. She's got this kind of sitcom animation that I get a kick out of. But – um but a lot of emotion happens with her, and and um, you know they're a good story. They're a real good story. But but you'll see, Thomas. The, 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 other than the age difference, and I'm looking at my wife to see what she thinks. Uh, other than the age difference, which is a similarity, um, I would I wouldn't say Thomas and Chelsea are anything like Kate and David from last year. Okay, and his, no, the, no, the, no, Robbie says no. <laughs> The fact that he's 37 and I guess that this is his first serious relationship, is that yeah. a thing with them? Is that an issue? It was a thing for me. Yeah. I was, as I try to figure out, you know, why they have the issues they have, I have to look for things that I consider might be cause for concern, which is what has you not being able, you know, what has it that you weren't in any serious relationship up to this point so what does that say about you as a as you know intimacy and authenticity and things like that um that wasn't the age uh him never having been in a relationship isn't necessarily the crux of their stuff but i do my best to try to correlate with them why they have a you know disconnect what's the disconnect yeah and so you know part of it reminds me of Casey from season two which is, hey, I'm just going to do me, and you know, you do you, and you know, I'm not cheating, and I love you, and it's all good. But this is just how I roll. Yeah. Which, which is um, not a not evil. It's just to some degree, you know, maybe inexperienced or or immature relationship wise to think that you can just do you without it, you know, affecting others. So the next couple is Julian and Kristen. Both 26, been together yeah. 11 years. That's right. He has cheated. She has held it against him. I mean, this has Evan and Casey written all over it just because of the length of time together, high school sweethearts. He was the cheater, and she held it over his head for a long time. And But the difference is he's the one that's ready to propose, whereas Casey wanted it from Evan, and Evan was the hesitant one uh, on season one. Um it seems like he wants to propose, but he's afraid she's going to say no because of his past actions. Tell us about Kristen and Julian. Well, I think, again, the comparisons to Evan and Casey um, uh, end at the length of time they've been together. Yeah. Um, they have this really deep, loving connection, the two of them. But as you'll see, there are other things outside of their relationship that have affected how they feel. Uh, one that you mentioned that he was not faithful in the past. And so, you know, this falls under the heading, Steve, like I always say that you guys come here and I ask you on day one, why did you come to Temptation Island? And you give me your reasons and you want the answer to these questions. 
And I listen to these and say, in two weeks, I'm going to talk to you and you won't even remember the questions that you came here with yeah. because it'll be something entirely different. And that's the case with these two is that, you know, he said he was coming to prove that he could be faithful. If she says that she wants to be, you know, prove that he could be faithful as well. And that's what the stopper is in their relationship. But as we get into their story, we realize that there's that all of that is true, but there's a whole other level of resistance and, and, um, silence that they need to break through to be the next level so hmm. and, you know they they really struggle and and kristen puts in some pretty hard work they both do yeah they work pretty hard yeah it's pretty fascinating actually so couple number three aaron and Corey. um i was it was tough to get a read on on them just based off of a, a bio to in the bio the main thing that came across was she's a former soccer player, former athlete. She's only pretty much dated athletes her whole life. Big, big athletes, major league pro athletes. Okay. And he's, yeah, he's he works in concierge. Uh, I think he's a concierge manager or something like that. Um, so is that her thing that she feels like she's not dating the guys that she's used to? And, and look, these two have only been together, looks like 18 months, and they're 24 and 25, so they're still young. Tell us about a little, a little bit of Corey and Aaron. You know, this was really an interesting story and difficult for me because um, you have Corey, who's one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. But as you'll see right off the bat, he's just, I just want her to be happy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened, and I'm not worthy of her. Mm. Which is really, you know, sweet, but not, doesn't really, uh, work in the long run, right? Yeah. And she's she's incredibly beautiful and this alpha alpha athlete vibe, right? Tough, tough woman, right? Emotional and heart of gold, but she's got a real tough edge because of her past and what she's gone through. So the question really is, you know, can he step up and get a swagger back? And can she is he enough for her? You know, it's kind of the question they start with. It all changes as they get into it. But that's kind of the way in is that, you know, that they, he's just like the epitome of codependence at the beginning of this. I just want her to be happy. I want her to be happy. So I have to kind of work with him and he kind of gets to grow a little bit to say, you know, what do I want? You know, what do I want in love? Which is the story I have with everybody. Yeah, that's really what I go to is that, look, once you guys separate into the other village, you have no control over the other person. So all you can really do is look at yourself. What was missing? What was I not giving that I could be giving and why? You know, these are the questions. So um, they have to grapple with some stuff. It's a relatively new relationship. They're both young. She's had some big relationships. He has like in his mind, he's like, you know, with the unicorn, like the perfect girl. And. I have to kind of say, hey, what about you? You're a pretty good guy too, and so their journey is pretty interesting too. Yeah, I'm. I just looking at it from the outside of the four couples. I'm interested in this one the most because just being a sports fan and right knowing that world of dating athletes. Um, I'm curious how a 24 year old who's only dated professional athletes before 
handles herself on this show and yeah. or and and if especially if it's in the single men there's a professional soccer player yeah who's adorable i mean really handsome dude so you know that's a whole thing and then you know it, it really becomes this thing about you know she's dated all these high level athletes and there's this vibe that they weren't particularly good to her so it becomes a conversation of now you're dating, you know, and I hear this from women all the time. It's like, you know, I, I always follow the bad boy. I always follow the bad boy. Yeah. I always hurt, so I'm going to go for the good boy and now I'm bored. You know, so yeah. it's the cycle, which I, I, you know, get real heavy right now for you, at least my opinion. Of it, but. So that, that's a, a pretty common thing with couples and that's what they're going through. So, uh yeah, we. Yeah, I think you can relate. You can relate to that for sure. We we hear that a lot from women. It's like bad boy, bad boy, but the bad boys never treat me well. I finally got a good guy, and gosh, it's just um, it's not what I'm used to. Uh, is this is yeah, this the way exactly. normal relationships actually work? And they're not used to it. Uh, and then it, they think, well, it, like think you say, it's, it's boring. I think you're right. I think a lot of it is that we have a definition of, of what a relationship is based on how we feel about ourselves and what we're worth, and that's why I constantly am saying to them, if you could. Write a fantasy script of what love looks like. What does it look like? And why have you made a decision that you're not worthy of that? You know, if 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 your fantasy of a love relationship is X and you're living Y, and the question is why? <laughs> Boy, I wish I'd have said that on the air. That's <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll save that for next season. <laughs> uh, all right, final couple is Kendall and Erica. Uh, they're both from L.A. Kendall's, he's 26, she's 24. And this mm-hmm. is kind of the opposite of, I think, Aaron and uh, Aaron and Corey in that um, Kendall's the one that doesn't feel, or excuse me, uh, Erica's the one that doesn't feel appreciated uh, in the relationship. And because he's a successful business owner that she feels a little underappreciated? Is that what we're looking at with these two? Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, what, what it comes out in the opening segment, the way they come to the island is that, you know, he just wants her to live her best life and be the best version of her. So she's constantly pushing her to reach those goals, reach those goals. And she's kind of saying, look, man, I do stuff like I cook for him, I clean, I iron, I am wifey material and i love doing that stuff for him right but it's never enough Mm. and his take on it is look i just want her to you know have i want a woman who can match my level of go get it this and and so that's sort of how they come into it uh her in the first dinner on the first episode you see a little breakdown there of how she feels not you know, kind of feels invisible and never enough and stuff like that. And, and I kind of asked the question right off the bat says, who says you got to got, who says you got to have goals? Yeah. I asked in the first dinner, you know, is she not reaching the goals that she has set for her or not reaching the goals she, you have set for her, which you'll see even in the conversation, neither of them can really hear me say it at that point, but it's what I feel like we're all thinking. So, it's fun to watch Erica become who Erica is by the end of the show. Uh, Kendall is certainly a watchable figure. <laughs> so you're going hmm. to have a good time watching that story. So I'm going to ask you something I ask you at the beginning of every season that we did on season one and season two. When you first met all four couples, you yes. probably had in your head 
who you thought was going to make it and who you didn't. Now, obviously, we don't want to know the results, but were you as accurate as you were in past seasons? Were you on the mark, and or were no. you like, oh wow, this is? I, I again, I was. I after a third season of doing this, thinking I know, thinking I know a lot, I realized, wow, I I didn't see that coming. Do we have a lot of I didn't see that the coming answer, this season moments? The answer is uh, my track record of my predictions from day one to the final bonfire has been horrible. Like if this was a. Uh, if this was like a football pool, I'm definitely in the red. I haven't made any money on this bet. Um, so one, I would say I made a point to not, you know, pre, you know, prejudge them, have a pre prejudgment because I've been so wrong. You got to remember that, you know, in season one, Sherry and, uh, Sherry and, uh, Javen. Javen, I told the producers after the dinner, we need to get a backup couple on hold because they're not going to make it through the next two days. <laughs> and then, of course, they're you know still madly in love with the cage and killing it. So, yeah. So with all I profess to know of the bonfire, I don't think I'm a good prognosticator. But I, I did, you know, I had hopes for people. You know, like there was something really sweet about Kristen and Julian that I immediately had an affection for in 11 years of a relationship and and it was interesting is that Julian is this gigantic guy with tattoos that before he opens his mouth you kind of think well this guy's probably an asshole mm -hmm. right and he's not <laughs> he's just not mm. um and so it's it really it's really interesting I, I say to them you know I say to them off camera like when I first meet them I like to pull them aside and say, look, you guys, just so you're clear, I take this really seriously. It's, it's a TV show, and when it airs, I'll look at it sort of like wrestling. But right now, it's for real to me, and I'm an advocate for whatever you want. But I'm going to be clear that you guys come as four couples, and I'm looking at eight possible happy endings. Yeah. You know, so just be clear about that, that I want eight of you to be happy. And if it turns out that you're happy together, well, that's a bonus, you know. So uh, that's kind of how I run, you know, run into this thing. I really try to stay uh, in the moment as best I can. I really try to remind myself that, you know, I'm not an authority. To just kind of be there to listen and bounce ideas off with and, and maybe call them on things I hear that are less than authentic, you know, less than real. Because that's the biggest part of this is that the gap between what actually is and what we want to be. So we keep living you know, in a relationship that's trying to cram it into a box of what we we wish it was, when in fact it may not be that at all. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean it's so. it's. I'm sure every obviously every couple is different, every season is different, and how people react is different. And the more seasons this show gets, you know, you've got the people that have studied the first two seasons and have even probably reached so that, out to couples from past seasons and like, how do I do a, this? That, that a, I think is. To not to the benefit, and I, I also say that to them too. I'm like, you know, season one has it easy. They have no idea what they're getting into, and they just roll, right? And then the more you guys watch it, the more you think you can manage how this is going to go. Yeah. And so I, I challenged them at the beginning. I said, as soon as you can kind of let go of that natural and just be real, the better it's going to be. Because whatever you do to manage your perception on this TV show, we – you know, we're not suckers. We as the viewers know we see you without you even opening your mouth. We see you. 
you know, so you can manage all you want, but at some point you're going to have to come clean. And the different, there's a point for each one of them when they kind of like go, okay, this is real. And how far they hold on to that resistance of trying to pretend until they go, you know, fuck it, I'm in. I I haven't done too much studying up on the singles just yet. Just looking at them, I've seen their pictures and looked at their ages and their jobs. But everyone's you know fairly young, under thirty. I think most of them are under thirty. Um, so I don't know who would possibly stick out. So just overall as a group, this group of singles uh, were they TV hungry? Were they were some of them more serious than others? How do you compare this singles group to first two seasons? I actually um, so on the guy side. I think they actually came to really mix it up, like the guy singles. And maybe in the beginning, we're getting frustrated that the girls were just, you know, not being real, Mm. right? So that causes a rub right off the bat, right? And then on the girl, the single girl side, you know, I try to make the point that, look, everybody's got their own level of play, like, what's cool with them and what's not cool with somebody else. Right. And, and me being like a boomer of the crowd, I have to like go, don't judge, let, let people do what they're going to do. And it gets wild. It gets wild, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, there was a time when we, you know, we were shaming people for behavior and that's not the case anymore. So each one of these women and these guys have these really intricate stories about their life and their relationship. And I could just spend as much time in a bonfire with them as I do with the couples because they've got their own stuff. Right. And so, um, in a group of 12, you're going to find a few that are just there for hookup or whatever, mm-hmm. or TV or whatever. But invariably there's always, you know, when you're living 24 seven like this and everything's isolated, people get real. And people gravitate to one another, and they create a relationship that's a <laughs> uh, They create a relationship. Are you there? Yeah. Sorry, guys. I dropped my phone. Um, you know, people get real. It, it, it ends up getting real, and relationships are formed. And each side of that relationship, single or couple, have needs, and those needs get filled. Sometimes they're platonic. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're emotional. Yeah. And so um, that's why the numbers game works. Those who aren't in it for the right reasons or if it's not a fit, at some point they go home. You know, And that's exactly what it's supposed to be. I, I didn't even ask you this when I was talking about the couples. Of, of the four couples, do all of them have going in a you know, handshake agreement on what's going to be acceptable with the other sex and what's not? Or did some not talk yeah. about it and say, oh, we'll just leave it the way it is? You see that at the uh, final dinner I have with them in the first episode, you know, and I ask them, you know, what rules did you set? And some say they had no rules. Some say they have really specific rules. Um, and I laugh <laughs> <laughs> because uh, not, not, not maliciously, but I laugh because I, I have this, you know, it's an old Southern phrase, you know, you want to make God laugh, make plans, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I laugh because you can't really contain what's going to happen. So um, while I, I appreciate you setting boundaries, the point of this whole thing is that you're breaking any acceptable boundary of a relationship just by showing up. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're taking it to another extreme level just by showing up. So 
you know, if the truth is to find out how you really feel, then you got to play full out and see how you really feel. Right. Yeah. So, well, so yeah, there are rules and they're different. Each couple has their own set of what they feel is appropriate. And I think that's what makes the show pretty interesting too, is that what's appropriate for one couple is not appropriate for the other. Hmm. Well, I, something that's kind of small, but I, I just happen to notice, you know, obviously they're, they promote 12 men, 12 women, However, there's only there's only eleven bios of the women on the site. Is is there something that we don't know about? Did something happen to girl number twelve, or was there just a yeah, mistake? I, 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 no, I think. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, we may have started with twelve and it ended up eleven before we started. Oh, okay. You gotta remember, we had a whole quarantine before we started. Yeah. So people were on the island for quite some time before we got going, and I don't know the whole story, and I don't know how much of it I'm. You know, it's, it's not it's not horribly dramatic. It's not like this big thing. It's just somebody then went home. Okay, gotcha. You know, and for personal reasons, and it's you know not any deeper than that. Okay, and so, then um, yeah. and so, nor nor does it affect the show. That's one of the things I love about the show is that there's really so little format that none of it really affects the outcome. You know, we bring in if we wanted to bring in surprises or we don't bring in surprises or where they go on dates, it just doesn't matter. You know, it just doesn't matter. You yeah. know, it, it's real. It gets real. It's about this emotional journey, which is why I think this show is different than any uh, dating show out there. It looks to be this extreme, ridiculous, crazy, debaucherous scene, and it has moments of that. But what it really is is a very deep, introspective look, introspective look at who we are and how we tick and why we can't, you know, often, you know, this is the hardest thing to do to find that forever somebody. So, yeah. so when you go over overall uh, the season, the overall view of it, I mean, we've seen clips online. Obviously, stuff starting to get released. There's, there's a clip that looks to be another threesome this season. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know who it was with. I didn't even slow. I didn't pause my TV to try and break it down. But it looks like we're headed in that direction. Is there anything this season that happens without going to detail of it that? did not happen the first two seasons, something that we'll see for the first time? Let me think about that. Uh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some stuff. There's, um, look, I, I, you, you and I have seen about as much of the same show, uh, of the show as uh, each other. I, and, and also for the listeners out there, I really try to not learn too much about what's going on on the island so that I can be honest when I say to them, I don't know what's in this clip and things like that. So when I watch the show, I see stuff that happened that I wasn't aware of. So I don't know how much I can tell you, but I think there's a, you know, it gets a little heated among, amongst the single guys at one point, and, you know, a little bit of drama like that, that I don't think I've seen in the past, a little bit of, you know, hmm. two Rams during mating season, butting heads kind of thing. <laughs> So I like to keep it in the animal kingdom. Uh, so, yeah, you know, look, you know, what, what I find interesting about Temptation Island is each season is as different as the couples that we bring to it. And yet relationships are so, um, so universal. We all have a common experience in knowing how difficult relationships are. And I think that's why it, it works. So, the, the widgets change with the new couples and the emotional journey is different, but the relationship 
conundrum is the same and we can relate. One final thing I wanted to ask you about, and you brought it up in your last answer, which reminded me, um, the bonfires this year. Season one, it was when you showed a clip, you asked the person if they had the choice, do you want your boys or the other girls to watch with you? Last season, it was just, hey, we're showing it to everybody. Everyone's watching. Um, Can you tell us what if there's a choice this season or if it's the same as season two where it's just, I'm going to show a clip, you all can watch? I think that uh, I just show the clips. Okay. And I think that what this this goes to what I was saying about the show that I love is that, you know, as the show has gone on from its original incarnation many years ago to the now in season three of this version, it keeps coming back to the same thing. It just doesn't need a whole lot of gimmicks. Mm-hmm. The more organic the, the situation is, the better it plays. So an example would be in the original version back in the early 2000s, there was this whole bunch of business about how dates were selected and blocks and necklaces and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then even in season one of you know USA Network, I would say, okay, time to select your dates, you know, and it was a whole thing. And then by season two, we started to say, look, you know, you got a date coming up, so when you feel right and you want to ask somebody out, ask them out, more organic. And that's how the show is evolving, you know, and and I really dig it because the truth is, you know, we don't we don't we don't really care about. I don't think we care so much about, you know, like gimmicky stuff about you know rolling the dice to see who gets eliminated or a competition to win immunity and things like that. You know what we want to see is people grappling with real stuff, emotions. We want to see the messy. We want to see the heartfelt. And we want to see the real, right? And so, you know, it's fun to have games. It's fun to do stuff. But we just don't need to invent gimmicks for entertainment's sake. Let's get to the juice. So it, the same is true with the bonfires. Look, you know, all right. We realize that, you know, you can wear a headset or you cannot. Well, then, you know, you got people wearing your phones and closing their eyes. So, (laughs) all right. So that's fun once, but it's like, all right, so what are we really doing? That choice is sort of an arbitrary choice. It's kind of bullshit. So why don't we just show the clip? (laughs) You know, this is what you signed up for. Here's the clip. You know, it's good. We're all going to see it anyway. Yeah. That's the joke is that you close your eyes and put your earphones on, but all of us at home are going to see it anyway. And then you're going to see it, you know, when you watch it. So let's quit playing the game and let's make this real. And remember, this there's no prize here. The only prize is do you grow or not? Yeah. Do you find love or not? Well, I think one so. thing, I mean, one thing that I, I, I don't know, I, I guess I have to see how it plays out, but I always, I actually always liked where you brought the couples out, sat the four guys over here, sat the four girls over there, and said, choose your dates, because I wanted to see – Rick's reaction when Ashley chose uh, KB. Like, I want to well, see we, the and the opposite and vice versa. We have that. Okay, you do have it. You didn't eliminate that we part. Have, we have it at the beginning. At the beginning. You know, when it – see, there's a flood. So they arrive. Mm-hmm. They're together. Then they spend the night apart, but then they come back the next day. So there's still a couple. It's still You still haven't become single yet, right? Mm-hmm. And in that moment when they make those date selections, everybody's seeing it. And that's really informative and sets a lot of storylines running. And then after that, they're not going to be together again. So a pop of who they choose from a reveal standpoint is less of a, a television moment, you know? Yeah. 
but when they're in the same room, it is. So we we certainly have kept that because that's that's a real part of the story. Yeah, that's right. So it only happens so on the first day. When you introduce the singles and they're all there, well, that's a that's a set piece. That's a thing, right? And then the next day when they pick their first dates, that's a thing. You know, we do it as a thing because that matters. And then, you know, as the show goes on and it gets deeper, then it's less about the gimmick and more about the real. Yeah. And, um, and that's how that flows. And this needs to work. I, I have ultimate faith in the producers. I have input as they ask, but not so much. And how they, you know, for me, the only thing that's really important is that as we show this, you know, warts and all crazy ride that gets salacious and nuts, but it's heartfelt as well. I always just want to make sure that, you know, the overall goal here is for them to explore for an answer that's real. So at the end of the day, they don't continue something that's unhealthy and they find something that's better, you know, and that doesn't always work. But that's kind of the way our producers and um, it's a delicate balance, and they do a pretty good job. I've seen, like I said, I saw the first episode, and I think it looks, you know, as good of the first episode as I've ever seen. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Mark, uh, thank you for coming on as you do at the beginning of every season. We'll probably have you on again at the end to wrap this all up in a nice bow. Um, Temptation Island starts this Tuesday, February 16th, 10, 9 central on the USA Network. Mark Wahlberg's your host. Mark, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it, bud. My pleasure, and uh, I look forward to reading your take on stuff. You got it. Thanks, Mark. All right, brother. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much to Mark for coming on. He's always a great guest at the beginning of every season. He'll be on again at the end of the season. And just to let you know, we're going to have guests every week on this podcast for 15 or 20 minutes that recap what happened on Tuesday's episode, mostly with the couples. Then once we get through all of them, maybe some singles. Casey Campbell from season one will definitely be on at some point this season to talk about, uh, you know, summarize what, what we've seen and everything. I have not seen the first episode yet. Uh, I'm going to watch it this weekend. So I did this interview under the pretense of I haven't watched anything. Usually uh, I've watched three or four episodes by now, but they've only put one up and I haven't gotten to it yet. So um, I'm sure it's good. Uh, you just heard Chris. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> mixing up my hosts of the shows. Uh, you just heard Mark talk about everything that happened on uh, or everything to expect this season with the four couples. It's going to be really interesting. And, you know, could you just wonder how, how much of these four couples have watched the first two seasons? Do they want to recreate things? Do they want to act like a certain couple? Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how this goes down. So I'm excited. I hope you're excited as well. We're going to have a lot of temptation Island coverage on my podcast and in my column uh, and, and on social media, actually more so on social media. They're not going to be any recaps this year from Nell, um, it's just going to be on social media, just getting you ready for episodes and maybe giving you some, some little nuggets here and there. So I, I hope you enjoy it all season long. Uh, I can't wait. So we get started Tuesday. Season three begins on the USA network at 10, nine central. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe and review in Apple podcasts. And for Mark Wahlberg, I'm reality, Steve. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you next week. See you.